Does anyone know how many days we have till Thanksgiving? Quickly think about it. Eleven. Did you say eleven, Bob? Were you thinking eleven? Today's the 15th. I think Thanksgiving's on the 26th, so 11 days before Thanksgiving. Now, despite the fact that we have had a highly unusual year that has brought a lot of circumstances, hardship upon people, despite all that, we still have reason to give praise and worship and thanks to God. So for this week and for next week, we're going to start two different messages, one today and one next Sunday. No, we won't have the meal, but we'll still have a message in which we should rightfully, despite anything that even happens to us throughout a day or a year, that we can still have reason to give praise and glory to God and be thankful. So today we begin that message and we look at Psalms 103. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn it open to the 103rd Psalm. We're going to read that today. It's going to be 22 verses in its entirety of the 23rd Psalm, which we'll see is written by David. And we'll take those 22 verses and we'll begin to dissect that and see how it can apply to us, but also to see how we have reason, despite anything that may happen to us, to still glorify, praise, worship the Almighty God because we are immensely blessed. Again, it's Psalms 103, 22 verses. Stand with me this morning. If you're able to, as we stand to honor the reading of the word, Psalms 103, verse 1, says this, Course of David. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your inequity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you, with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Now verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and glorious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our inequities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and his place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant, and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, 
obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Father, Lord, we come to you this morning just grateful for the numerous blessings that you bestowed upon us as individuals, as a church family together, Lord, you give us many blessings. And today, Lord, we're just expressing our gratitude, our thankfulness. We're recognized today, Lord, by looking at a psalm written by David so many years ago that you deserve, and you alone, Lord, deserve the praise and the worship. So now, Lord, we invite your spirit to lead and to reign here today as we consider this 103rd psalm. We pray, Lord, we understand it better and see how it applies to our lives today and how, yes, we can even be grateful in the midst of a pandemic. So thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know how familiar you may be to the 103rd Psalm, but the Psalms, 103rd Psalm, is very is labeled as one of the most favorite or loved Psalms among many people. In fact, Andrew Knowles says this. He says, here is one of the greatest Psalms. Beginning with his heart and experience, David reviews the quality of God's love for all people. He calls on the whole of creation to praise this endlessly merciful and gracious God. And that is precisely what we should and we must do. We must extend praise to our endlessly merciful and gracious God. As we've already mentioned now a couple of different times, Thanksgiving is drawing closer and closer. So there's, not, there's nothing wrong with today, starting the day in which we start thinking about our blessings and how we should be praising God for all the mighty things he does for us. Yeah, we're in a bad year. I mean, anything that seems to go bad now, the first thing that anybody says, well, is 2020. Like, it's supposed to maybe happen this year. People can't wait. To get 2020 over, to get ready to go to the new year, and hopefully think 2021 will be something better. And perhaps it will. But whether it is or whether it is not, we still have today. And each and every day it is right to praise and worship the Almighty God and to give Him thanks for our many, many blessings that we receive. And now we look at this psalm and we see it tells us that we, shan't, that we can, in any situation, we can truly praise and worship God. So as you look at the Psalms from a thousand foot view, we can find that it's actually divided into three segments or three portions. So here are the three segments and divisions in which we can unravel and explain things happening in the Psalm. The three divisions are this then. Verses one through five, as we look into David, he will be offering personal praise to the Lord. In verses six through nine, 18, Again, the psalm written by David, we see how he's offering a national praise to the Lord. And then finally, the last segment, last division, is verses 19 to 22, which extends universal praise to the Lord. But note the repetitive word in each of the three sections of David's psalm. Praise. Praise. Praise is what our Lord truly deserves each and every day. So with that, let's begin unraveling the psalm. And we go back into the first section, verses 1 through 5, praise on a personal level. Now note, if you will, 
before David can openly and like he should publicly praise God, he must first prepare his heart to give the praise that God truly and rightfully deserves. Roger Ellsworth, in his commentary on Psalms, affirms that praise requires preparation. He said, our hearts, ever inclined to deadness and coldness, must be stirred to properly take up praise. And maybe we don't think about that, but we really should know that. Because think about any time that we are about to extend praise to our Lord, or even praise to anyone for that matter, ask yourself this. Is it really I'm extending praise in a joyful, sinful way? Is my heart really prepared to express that praise to our Lord? Now, we would like to think as we ask ourselves that question, that praise would just come naturally. And because it's just naturally and we like to do it, it just comes out of our mouth rather smoothly, across our lips, directly from our heart. But often in reality, praise, or should we say true praise, only comes from when our heart is truly prepared to offer that praise. Think about it. When our heart is truly prepared to offer praise, makes it genuine, makes it authentic, maybe really makes it true, worthy praise to give to our Lord. Or maybe to someone else. Now, as I say it, I think about this too. That we can extend praise. But sometimes when we extend praise to our Lord or to someone, I categorize that, I describe that as cheap praise. You know, the kind of praise that we tell someone, Oh, good job. Or we tell someone, congratulations. But really deep down, we don't feel that way because we think that maybe we should be receiving the praise for something that we have done. I mean, it's that particular moment, if you will, when jealousy just seeps into our heart. And we know that we should offer praise and we know that we should offer some sort of congratulations for something that has happened. And so we force it out. But it's really shallow and meaningless. And we see that in life, in many facets of life. For example, if you play competitive sports, you'd know that any time there's a sports game, there's going to be ultimately two teams that come to a championship. Whether it's baseball, football, hockey, volleyball, it don't matter what it is. Sports is geared that way. When you have a collection of teams and they're playing for some competitiveness in a league or whatever, it ultimately comes down to two teams for the championship. And everything I can even think of, two teams for the championship. Whether you like sports or not, doesn't matter. Two teams for the championship. How many times do you see the team that does not win the championship in whatever sport it may be walk up to the opponents? after they've lost a game, and give that courtesy handshake and just say, hey, good job, well done. They do that. But do you think it's sincere? Or do you think somehow they're thinking, I should have won. Our team deserved to win. They're probably thinking that they should have deserved to win the game. And they then offer some cheap type of praise for the moment to the other team that won. Now, I was thinking about that last week, and I got thinking about a couple of instances where that was not the case. In 1991, 
The Chicago Bulls was on the rise. The Detroit Pistons were the team to beat. In the first round of the NBA playoffs, the Bulls swept the Pistons. How did the Pistons react? They walked off the court. Really, as the last seconds of the game was expiring, the Pistons just walked off the court. Didn't extend any cheap praise to the Bulls. But that's not the only time it's ever happened. Recently in Super Bowl 50, Cam Newton lost the game to the Denver Broncos in a Super Bowl. It was Peyton Manning's last. So what does Cam Newton do at the end of the game? He runs off the field. He will extend the congratulations to the Broncos. But as I mentioned, Peyton Manning, he also did the same thing. Back in 2016, when Peyton Manning was playing for the Colts and they lost to the Saints, what did Peyton Manning do when the Saints won the Super Bowl? He jogged off the field, didn't congratulate the Saints at all. But normally you find the sports teams offering some sort of cheap praise to the opponent for winning the game. But it's not just in sports. How about work? When someone in the workplace has been recognized for success on a project, you join in and express to your coworkers, good job. Well done. You might even say you deserve that. But you don't really think they deserve that. It's cheap praise because what part of you really doesn't think that I wish it had been me? It's what we do. We offer some cheap praise. One of the classic moments I have offered anyone cheap praise was many years ago. I had a best friend when I lived in Texas. His name was Wade. Wade and I loved to go deer hunting together. While we're living in Texas, we had a lease in Mississippi. And we go at the end of December, the 1st of January, every year for a 7 to 10 day hunting trip in Mississippi. And it was just awesome. But the property, I was access to more than Wade. So I began to realize where some of the bigger deer were. Well, he's my buddy. So I wanted to make sure I helped him out a little bit. So I put him in a particular spot where I knew this big deer had been running around for a while. And what happens? Wade kills the big deer. So as he does so, now I have to extend congratulations to Wade, even though deep down in my heart, I think, man, that should have been me. And I'm immensely jealous. So I offer him the cheap praise that we sometimes just seem in life to do. So the question now is we recognize that there is cheap praise being offered at times that comes across our lips is this. Why do we do that? Why do we offer cheap praise? It's not sincere. It's not really genuine. And I suggest to you it's because it's all we can offer. Because our heart is not prepared to offer the true praise. It's like Jeremiah the prophet has said in chapter 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I mean, there's only true, two people that truly know our heart and the condition thereof. It is the Lord and it is you that really knows the condition of your heart. So recognizing that, now we go back to the text and see, well, here is David. And, and David is like us. I mean, he, he's human. I mean, he's, he's also the king, but he, he's human. So David prepares his heart first. In this psalm, 
he's recognizing for me to offer genuine, sincere praise to our Lord, I got to prepare my heart. So how does he prepare his heart? Here's how he does it. In verses 1 through 5, he speaks to himself, which reminds him of God's goodness. Look again at the verses. It's that he offers, he starts the entire psalm. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Again, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Here he now is reminding himself of how God has been so good to him. He forgives all your inequity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He's reminding himself of all the goodness that God gives him. So whenever we want to prepare our heart, we should remind ourselves of how well we have been blessed. Even in a horrible year, we still have been blessed. And we should remind ourselves of that to properly prepare our heart to give God praise. Now, a couple of things to observe from verses 1 through 5. First, recognize the repetitive phrase, bless the Lord, O my soul. If you're looking at it, you see it begins verse 1, and again, David expresses it at the beginning of verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, if you like contemporary Christian music, then when you hear that or when you read the words, bless the Lord, O my soul, you may have a song to enter your heart and your mind. The song probably could be by Matt Redmond, who sings a song called 10,000 Reasons. Now, you're going to see the lyrics behind me. I'm not going to pretend to be one who can sing because I cannot. God may like it when I sing, but nobody else does. So you see the words behind me, but look at the very beginning. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. I worship your holy name. I mean, as Matt Rebin sings and wrote these lyrics, I mean, perhaps the song is completely appropriate because the blessings the Lord bestows upon us, we have at least 10,000 reasons to worship the Lord. Again, even on a difficult year, we still have all these multiple reasons to worship Praise the Lord. And so does David. Again, David is like us, where he recognizes he has been immensely blessed. I mean, as we pointed out in the psalm, David is blessed in so many ways. His sins have been forgiven in verse 3. Even healing diseases, verse 3. Verse 4 extends his mercy and grace. But if you had to circle, if you had to say what one may be, would be the way in which he is most blessed, it'd be the fact that the Lord redeems him in verse 4. Arguably, no better blessing is given to anyone in the fact that the Lord redeems us. So as David considers his blessings, considers those things, he has reason then to sing out and to shout out, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, if you've ever said those words, bless the Lord, O my soul, and somehow, way, even sang the song with Matt Redmond, what you're actually doing when you say, bless the Lord, O my soul, is you're extending praise to God at that particular moment. Spencer Jones states, to bless 
The word bless is more than to praise. It is to praise with affection and gratitude. Warren Worsby adds this, to bless the Lord means to delight his heart by expressing love and gratitude for all he is and all he does. And then finally, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, says Jehovah is worthy to be praised by us in the highest style of adoration, which is intended by the term, the word bless. He said, our very life and essential self should be engrossed with this delightful service. And each one of us should arouse his or her own heart to this engagement. What's Spurgeon referring to? He's talking about how we should be able to be happily say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Because when we say, bless the Lord, O my soul, we're extending some heartfelt, sincere praise to God. It extends praise to the Father in heaven. And that's the first notable thing about the first five verses, but there's a second. Notice, if you will, the second thing that I find within these first five verses is the placement and the frequency of the word all. It's notable within the first five verses that the word all is said four times. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. In verse two, forget not all his benefits. Verse three, forgives all your inequity, who heals all your diseases. Four times really within three verses is the word all expressed. Now, as that's notable, we'll eventually find to make our way through the psalm, that it's not at all unusual to see that word all in this psalm. In fact, it actually is said nine times. The word all is said nine times in Psalms 103. We've already recognized four times in the first three verses, but it's said again in verse 6, it is said again in verse 19, it is said again in verse 17, it's said uh, uh, in verse 21. And twice in verse 22. So nine different times the word all is used. Now he's saying, okay, what's the big deal? Okay, he's pointing out the fact that the word all is used in the psalm by David. What I'm telling you that is because I want you to learn this. That the word all that David encompasses so many times within Psalms 103 demonstrates that the psalm is for a call for total commitment to God. It's a call for total commitment to our Lord. Total commitment. Like in all or nothing. Total, complete commitment. And then when it comes to extending praise, think about this. When it comes to extending praise or giving thanksgiving and to truly worship God, isn't total commitment the key? Shouldn't our heart truly be committed to the Lord to extend that praise that he deserves? I mean, don't get me wrong. David has moments of sin, as we all do. I mean, he has faults and flaws mixed in as well. We all have faults. We have some flaws. It's the same way with David. But listen, but David was always committed to God. And so a heart that is completely committed to God, can offer true praise to God. When you're completely committed to God, all in, you can offer that true, sincere praise that God deserves. 
So then true praise comes from a grateful heart and sincerely wants to glorify and please the Lord. That's David. His desire was to please the Lord. Was he perfect? No. But his desire was to please the Lord. So is that the way that we live, that we are? I mean, is our heart set on complete commitment to God? Because now David is showing this complete commitment to God can extend praise, worship that he truly deserves. So we ask ourselves, well, is our heart set on complete commitment to God? But we say, well, how can we know? How can we know if our heart is set on commitment to God? And David answers for that when we say, when we can say all that is within me and sincerely mean it. Not just saying the empty words. I'm committed to God because all that's in me is committed to God. But when you really sincerely mean it and you say it, then you are committed to God. All that is within me means all of my inner being, every part of my fiber, my soul, is focused upon the Lord. My heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just like was commanded by Moses to the Israelites back in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema in verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Of course, our Lord also expressed the same thing in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. So, yes, we should be completely, totally committed with all of our mind with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. So then to fulfill this command means that you're all in. If you can truly say, I'm completely committed to God, like David is expressing here, you're then all in. You're all in, completely, totally committed to God. And because David then is all in, completely committed to God, he can express to himself all that is within me. It prepares his heart to extend true praise. And that is precisely, that is precisely what God deserves. True, honest, sincere, authentic, heartfelt praise. Even on our worst days, our worst years of our life, God still deserves the praise. Not the cheap imitation, going through the motions type of praise that sometimes we do. Sometimes we do that when we're jealous of a particular situation or whatever's happened to our friends. But rather extend to God the true praise. Extend to God true praise. Not this cheap artificial stuff. But you're saying, wait a minute, preacher, wait a minute. Is it offering God some sort of praise better than Maybe no praise? I mean, isn't cheap praise maybe better than nothing? Well, here's how one commentary stated that question. He said, we might think modest or cheap praise, as I call it, is better than no praise at all. But it is not true. Modest, formal, lifeless praise is an insult to the very God it is supposedly honoring. Now think about that. It really means that God deserves true, heartfelt, sincere, our heart committed to that praise. 
Now, just some off-the-cuff, off-the-wall type of expression of praise that we would give to just anyone in a moment. God deserves our best praise that we can possibly offer to anyone. And our heart is gladly extending that praise to him. It's the personal praise that we offer him. So David now, as we look into the psalm, he, he at the beginning of the particular psalm, he's preparing his heart to offer it a personal, genuine, sincere, high praise to God. And God deserves no less. But the second section comes up now within a particular psalm that we're looking at today in Psalms 103, verses 6 through 18. Again, that national praise to the Lord. I mean, notably in this particular section, David shifts from the singular to the plural as he meditates on the grace that God has shown toward the people, towards him, the nation Israel. I mean, many wonderful words are expressed in this particular section, verses 6 through 18, that demonstrate God's goodness, his blessings he's given not to a personal level, but now to an entire nation of people. It would take much too long to go through them all, but let's make sure we find a few notables. And the first one is this, that he is for the nation, not just David alone, the deliverer. It's verse 6, where David says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. I mean, this is true. Yahweh, the almighty God, was for the nation Israel, the righteous deliverer. Not only when he rescued them from Egypt, but really throughout all their history. I mean, he gave David himself many great victories on the battlefield. So, yes, he is their deliverer. But he's also then their provider. Verse 7, where he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people. The Lord also gave his guidance to the people through Moses. By leading them by a cloud during the day, through his word, through the prophets. And Moses was their leader, but God commissioned the commandments and made them known. He provided for the people manna in the desert in order to drink. I mean, he was their provider. As a nation, they've been blessed because God was their deliverer and he was their provider. But then David goes further. He says, because God has been good to us as a nation, he's been merciful, he's been forgiving, he's been gracious to us. He says, the Lord, verse 8, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9 refers to how he's being a holy God. He does not stay angry at sin. I mean, the Israelites are like us. We're prone to sin. We rebel against him. They certainly did. But in his compassion, he forgave them. As verse 10 says, he does not repay us according to our inequities. He's merciful. He is forgiving. He's gracious at a personal level, but also to a national level. And then lastly, verses 11 through 18 extends the national praise based upon the everlasting love and covenant. I mean, using the threefold as, notice how David illustrates God's love. He says, it is as a High as the heavens, in verse 11. He says, it removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, in verse 12. It is as tender as a father's compassion or pity for his children, in verses 13 and 14. 
In addition to all those things, the mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting. I mean, what incredibly wonderful news this is for any nation. That God is a nation, a group of people's deliverer, their provider, that extends mercy. He's gracious to us. It was certainly good news for David and the nation Israel. But it's not exclusively for just Israel. It is available for any nation. By the way, a nation is defined as a large body of people united by common descent, history, culture, or language. A large body of people united by common descent, history, culture, or language. Despite the fact that America is not necessarily united, this still is us. We still are a nation of people that have common descent, history, culture, and language. So let's singly think about the question of the the national blessing that, that David is extending to the Lord and ask ourselves this question. Has God blessed our nation? Has God blessed the United States of America? Has he been our deliverer, our provider? Has God extended to our country mercy and grace? I surely think he has. And there's many different ways we could find that he has extended mercy and grace and been a provider, been our deliverer. I picked up a few this week from Charles Stanley. And he's recognized then as saying that America has been blessed in the following ways. Number one, we have a godly heritage. Now today we might begin to question that a little bit, but there's little doubt that many men who signed the Constitution were Christians and our country was founded originally upon Christian principles and values. So we have in America a sense of being blessed and that we have a godly heritage. But Charles Stanley also said we are blessed because we have abundant natural resources. In fact, we have so many natural resources through ore, minerals, oil, ores, cropland that we even give to other countries things they may need to sustain their portion of life. He also says we have a robust economy, which is a sign of the blessing that God has given upon us. That we have a free enterprise system, that we still have the great value of a dollar felt worldwide. And of course, there's these innovations, these technical, technological innovations that the United States contributes greatly to. And then we have, of course, our freedom. We indeed are a blessed nation because of the freedom that we have. Other countries don't even come close to enjoying the freedoms that we have. We are a democracy. We enjoy freedoms that many countries in the world will only hear about and really never know. So while Stanley points out a few, you know, four different ways in which God has blessed America, you might be thinking of many more wonderful ways that we've been blessed. And perhaps our blessing as a country are taken for granted. But make no mistake, we as a country as a nation, as a group of people, the United States of America is immensely blessed by a loving Father. And so that means really this, that we should not only honor God, but offer Him praise for the great nation that He has made us. I mean, David is recognizing the blessings God has given to Israel. So why shouldn't we 
upon some level, recognize the blessings that God has given to us as a nation. He's reminding the people, he's reminding himself that they are immensely blessed. And now we ourselves are reminding us that we too are blessed for being an American. So give God praise nationally, not just personally. And finally, there was one more segment to the song. It was in verses 19 through 22, which is the universal praise to the Lord. I mean, here, by looking at the verses, you might be able to see that David concludes the psalm with an appeal for all the angels of the heavenly realm to host, to, to join in the chorus of praise. And further, since God's throne is established in heaven, any rules overall, it is right for all creatures to give praise to God. Which reminds us of the last Psalm 150 and verse 6. The very last line in the entire book of Psalms. Psalms 150 verse 6. So that everything, not just a few things, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All creatures praise the Lord. I mean, essentially what David is stating in the psalm of praising the Lord is that whatever God's dominion may be, whatever his rule is, and it's all over, it's universal, things should be found to praise and to honor him. There is no corner or crevice in this entire world or the universe where it cannot be found that praise should be given to God. So praise God even from a universal standpoint. So we may add here and prepare to conclude that praise is certainly something that we should be offering God. We are the children of God and it is right to offer him praise on a personal level, yes. And we may think about how we need to give him praise on a personal level. But David explains it's not just personal in which we extend the praise, he's also extended blessing us on a national level, in the universal, in which everything that has breath should praise the Lord. So as we mentioned earlier, there's 11 days remaining till Thanksgiving. It's a very short time away. But it's right that we should start right now at this moment to now prepare our hearts to extend praise and worship in thankfulness to an almighty God that extends many blessings to us. There is no doubt. I don't have to keep saying this. There is no doubt that this year has been full of highly unusual circumstances for many, many people. I looked up this morning. In the United States alone, just pertaining to the COVID-19 situation that we are so abundantly aware of, in the United States alone, there's been 11 million cases, 245,000 deaths. In Indiana alone, there's been 247,000 confirmed cases, 4,888 deaths. Just yesterday, in case you've not heard this yet, Indiana set the all-time record for the state. We've been hearing about this since March. But yesterday, Indiana set the highest recorded amount of new cases throughout this entire year. Now there's some debate about how real it is upon certain occasions and times. 
But here we are. Finding out somehow, some way, it is a real to some extent. And it doesn't seem to be going away too quickly. I notice it didn't go away by the election. So I don't know what's going on except for the fact that God is still in control. And he can use these things to his glory. And we should recognize that all things are happening in the world, in the country, in the state, that God, even in the worst possible year that we think we can have, still deserves the praise. He still deserves worship and praise and glory. Now, David is reminding us in this particular psalm. We'll have something different next week. But notice something else before we end everything. Notice about the psalm that David started this psalm with the very words, bless the Lord, O my soul. He said it once, he said it twice. Verse 1, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. But notice at the very end, at the very end of the entire psalm, he says it once more. Verse 22. The psalm concludes the same way it started. And now David is taking the chance throughout all this that we have talked about in this psalm that he has written, with all the blessings that he has received on a personal, national, or universal level to extend praise. Like I, it's like I read the psalm and I picture David then saying, Bless the Lord, all my soul at the beginning, recognizing he has many blessings. And he's gone through all the blessings he received. And at the very end, he comes back to the same phrase. And maybe now David's on his knees. He's saying, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Or maybe David's on his knees. Maybe now he's shouting, his hands raised to God, saying, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And remember, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul is extending that heartfelt, genuine, sincere praise that God deserves. Say it with me. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Father, Lord, we're so grateful. You're so, so incredibly good to us, Lord. You're good to us, Lord, and we don't even deserve it. So, Lord, today we consider a psalm written by David, again, many years ago. But it points us now, Lord, as we recognize that we must prepare our hearts to extend the thankfulness that you truly deserve and to praise and worship you, Lord. I pray this week, Lord, we would all dare to fall on our knees or just raise our hands up on high and say, bless the Lord all my soul and truly mean it. And see, we're so incredibly blessed. Lord, yeah, it's been a bad year, but we're still blessed. The message, the psalm we're dissecting from David reminds us of this truth. So, Lord, today as we ponder this then and bring our time to conclusion, let us just think about those blessings, so many that we take for granted, and now then extend our praise to you and be grateful and thankful for the things you do for us. We always say, we always recognize, every time I pray together, Lord, we, we, I always say the best blessing, if we never received another blessing, the best blessing of our entire life is your son Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that great blessing. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your son, the sacrifice he made for each of us in all this world. 
It's in his name we pray. Amen.